Welcome to another figure week, park surface week, organic week. Hey everyone, my name is Ahmed Aldouri. I'm a concept artist and former instructor at Art Center College of Design, Brainstorm, CCS, CGMA, and various other places. And I would like to introduce to you this digital painting course that I've created. But before we get into anything, I just wanna thank you for the support you've all given me this whole time. And with the support of so many of you, I've been able to put together everything I know about painting into this digital painting course. You want to become a pro, illustrator, concept artist, or even just a hobbyist, but you don't have a clear map to get there. And that's where I come in. I spent the last six months compiling everything I know from my 20 years of art practice, and I've turned it all into a map, starting with foundations such as rendering shapes, color theory, painting basic subjects, understanding brushwork, brush economy, all that fun stuff, deconstructing the skull, drawing it from every angle, Angle, all the way to master studies, stylized painting, and you'll find yourself at the end of the course doing a concept art project based on everything that we learn in the first 14 lessons. So how does it work? Well, you sign up, you watch the lectures, do the assignments, post them to the community page if you want, and treat it as a self-study, except for those of you who have signed up for the weekly meeting where I personally critique your work in a virtual classroom setting. I believe learning by repetition is super important. That's what I've sort of presented a lot in this course, and the assignments are tailored for that, as adapted from my time teaching at Art Center. And each of these lessons have step-by-step -step explanations in real time. If you've ever seen my videos, you know exactly how I teach. And this course is intended to be a substitute for a college level course, but you don't have to pay the four or $5,000 per class, racking up maybe 200K in debt. With my custom design course, you'd be paying a fraction of that. And of course, I also have payment plan options if you don't want to pay for the whole thing at once. Thank you for watching this and I'll see you soon. everybody and welcome back to Digital Artcast. Um, this is the first episode back after a year hiatus, um, taking a little time away from myself and uh, reinventing what I was doing. Um, but again, we wanted to bring back some of the traditional interviews we were doing also on the channel. So this one is one of the first ones we've been able to do this year with our guest. Um, it's again great to just be back and doing these. I have definitely been enjoying you guys reaching out and messaging me, um, talking about how even through 
the year I was away, you were kind of reliving and revisiting uh, some of the podcasts I had done previously and uh, just enjoying uh, the time and the content that was there. Um, I forget when I go back and look at my YouTube channel that there is over 100 videos there for people to enjoy over five years worth of content. So um, I'm really thankful and glad that you guys have enjoyed it. And thank you again for reaching out. Um, my guest today uh, is someone that I have seen on socials for the last year, um, especially just while I've been diversifying my brand and what I've been trying to do. I've been looking for people who are slightly different to the, the typical guests we have. You know, typically we have uh, concept artists, 3D artists, people in the games and film industry. Um, people who are doing maybe more of the traditional roles you see within games development uh, and film but today we are talking to someone who has a slight tangent on what we uh, do in the entertainment industry and I thought it'd be interesting to get him on and talk about his career uh, his journey through what he's done and where he is today and how he's kind of got there um, if you can introduce and uh, you know talk about yourself but uh, we're bringing on the guest today Mr Luke, uh, Luke Whitelock and uh, we're going to talk about your career. So uh, thanks, firstly, Luke, for coming on. And uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, great. Um, yeah, so I mean, I am a, I'm a set designer in the film TV industry. Been doing it for about 20 years. Um, I studied at uh, Bournemouth Arts Institute. I did a degree in um, production design, um, or film and animation, but specializing in production design. And... Um, yeah, I've been, so I graduated in 2004 and then I moved to London. I uh, didn't really have any uh, contacts or anything. I just kind of did it with, a, moved up here with a friend and we both, he was a director, a wannabe director. And, and we just kind of, you know, arrived in London and just started phoning around and trying to get work and Over everything. And, yeah, exactly. And I, I ended up with, um, I had what, well, I'd say I had no contact. I had one contact, which was a guy uh, called Paul Cripps, who's the production designer on um, uh, Ted Lasso okay. at the moment. And uh, back then he was doing sort of more um, TV stuff mm -hmm. um, uh, for sort of Channel 4 and things like that. And uh, I just basically pestered him for like three months, <laughs> just kept phoning him every other week and was like, you know, I got a job, got a job. Mm -hmm. And he eventually he relented and he said, All right, I'm starting this thing. Uh, Sugar Rush Channel Four, cool. Which, if you remember that, it was quite yep. a um, groundbreaking series um, at the time. Yeah, at the time, and it had uh, it's Andrew Garfield's one of it, one of his first shows. Um, he was in it, yeah, yeah, he plays the played the neighbor, and yep. uh, and that was it. Really, I just kind of got on that. It was really quick. So it's like a baptism of fire. So yep. like you know, you kind of, you learn or you think you learn at, at university what you're going to be doing in the film industry or the TV industry or whatever. Mm. Um, when you actually get into it, it's like, oh God. And I had, you know, and I kind of had this bashed up old car and they wanted me to sort of travel around all the prop houses, picking up props. Mm. I was doing a little bit of graphics work. I was dressing sets. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do any drafting to design the sets. Mm -hmm. Um at that stage but i was doing standby um i was driving down to brighton to to do second unit and all sorts of stuff so it was a really great like little um introduction to the film and tv world yep um and that ran for it was a really short job it was like eight weeks i think mm -hmm. if that and um yeah 12 hour days six days a week really hard work fantastic um, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 
at the time I was like, Oh no, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I stuck with it and uh, kept going mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the jobs you do, mm-hmm. but, um, you don't realize it at the time, but you're, you're always meeting people because it's a big freelance industry. So you're always meeting people. And then out of the blue, you get a phone call from someone who says, Oh, um, heard you were working with so-and-so on sugar rush. They recommended you. Yeah. Would you like to come for an interview or whatever? And that happened for, uh, the watchman, the, the film, cool. um, which I didn't get, mm-hmm. um, they phoned me up. I was going to go and go and do it. And then, then it moved it. They pushed it, they pushed the production right? and I missed it. And I ended up doing some more TV work for a bit. Right. Um, and then I got my first feature film job. Um, I'd been, you know, we were chatting beforehand about this sort of thing, but, um, <laughs> with, with the work as it is now and everyone, everyone is kind of stuck in this kind of limbo waiting for the films to start up after the strikes. Yeah very much in that sense back then there was no work around every all the feature films were sort of going to prague or uh, czechoslovakia or places like that and um, what was being made in the uk was just basically harry potter and a few other little bits and pieces yeah and um you know i'd waited months and months and months trying to get a job and then on the same day i got a call for three jobs on the same day which was stardust if you remember that film, yep. um, Flight ninety three, and uh, Elizabeth the Golden Age. Oh, okay. So I ended up doing three interviews mm-hmm. at three separate um, uh, studios. One was at Pinewood. Oh no, sorry, two were at Pinewood, and one was at Shepperton. Right. Shepperton being the last one, mm-hmm. and they offered me the job on the spot, so I ended up taking that, and that was the Golden Age, right? Which was the sequel to Elizabeth, the um, Shaker Kapoor film. Mm-hmm um with uh Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. and uh yeah that was it really that was my that was my in I got my foot in the door mm-hmm. uh then that was two, 2005 right. um and I just started at the bottom you know just making tea getting lunches for people um you're doing kind of like a runner role basically yeah exactly yeah filling up the photocopier um, opening the offices in the morning, making sure everybody had teas and stuff. coffees and lunch. <laughs> yeah, all the all the boring stuff. But what's great about that, and it's kind of been lost a little bit mm-hmm. late, you know, in the last sort of five to ten years, is yeah. that um, you get to meet everyone and and go around all the departments and learn. You know, because I was taking drawings down to construction, and I was taking drawings over to the plaster shop, or I was taking them to the model makers, or I was taking them to the vision effects uh guys or the special yeah. effects guys sorry and um you get chatting with the department heads or whatever and then you say oh how do you how do you do that and then they show you and you absorb all this stuff like osmosis you don't realize you're doing it until sort of like years down the line you go oh i remember we did that on i don't know whatever it was rock yeah, and roll production, and then you bring on to the next and, one uh, yeah yeah and we could do that here and they go, oh, right, okay. You know, so so that's how I learned. Um, I'd like to say I learned everything at uni, but I really didn't. Uh, like, uh, I oh, think no that is does. a real... Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people at university um, would be... It would be good for them to hear that because so many come out and think they're a production designer or they think they're an art director and it's like, no. Yeah. 
you 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 really have got to um, put the hours in, put the work in. Yep. You can't expect to walk into a production designer role straight from university. It's just not going to happen. It's just. Um, I was going to say it's just just the interject, but it's yeah, it's the reality of I think this university students is the fact that like even in my class when I was going in as a mature student and I was in my late twenties at the time when I was going in to start uni, um, but out of a class of like thirty five, there's only two of us I know, me included, are working. You know, so yeah, it's very slim pickings. Yeah, yeah, and and it's um, you know, you kind of you go into the job and and uh, and I, I just basically work my way up through over the course of several years mm. um doing the odd jobs you know, when, stuff. Yeah. yeah so you do i mean i mean when i did it mm. it was kind of well established that you would do sort of five years as a sort of art department assistant right and then five years as a junior or four or five years mm. as a junior and then four or five years as an assistant art director and then uh, or as a draftsman then then an assistant art director then yeah. Then, then art director. So right. you know, after after sort of fifteen, twenty years, you get up to art directing level. But because there's so much work around, mm-hmm. or was, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many, so many jobs through all the all the um, uh, the streaming services that have come in in the last sort of five to ten years. Yeah. The content, the amount of content. I hate calling it content, but yeah, is what it is. Uh, they. You, you'll go on a job now, whereas 10, 15 years ago, you go on a job and you know you knew everyone on a job. Like oh, Everyone knew each other in the film industry. There was yeah, it's such a small industry. It's the same games, yeah. Industry, yeah. Um, and if you didn't know them by, you know, by you know them, know them, you, you, you'd have heard of them at least. Yeah. And um, now you go on a job and you find out, you know, the supervising art director, you're like, I've never heard of this person. Who are they? And you look them up and they've done like five things ever mm-hmm. and you're like how are they a supervising art director mm-hmm. so when i started out so all supervising art directors were over 50 60 years old yeah now all supervising art directors are like 35 you're like how's that happened it hap- <laughs> i mean it's it's a weird thing even with the games industry where i've found that like as you were talking about the the progression i was thinking god that's a long time to be doing that but because a lot of the guys i know have entered maybe like you know, when I was coming out of university and, you know, when I was finishing up in 2017, 2018, I was doing runner jobs and interning places. I was meeting people there then who are now our directors and they've done maybe seven or eight years in the industry. Um, but like I was talking to Ian McCaig in our last interview and he was talking about this phenomenon where he's, I mean, he's in his 60s, obviously, you know, and he's worked on everything for Star Wars and everything. But he was saying you've got people in their 30s now who are drawn like they've been drawn for 60 years, like because the the information overload of the you know the internet exploded and there's so many online tutorials there's so many um you know there's no gatekeeping information a lot of people are like passing down stuff on how to get better quicker and how to learn things like you're obviously doing your courses now um i think the difference with your industry is that you know there's been less of like the online tutorial feeding back into what to do for the industry to get in and how to work um whereas the concept art people and games people have done that i think since the early 2010s um, and then there's been this whole generation now of people who have this huge vat of knowledge super quick, so who are now quickly progressing up the ladder because, you know, they go to a, a talk, you know, every other year with an art director who stands in front of them and goes, this is what you need to do, and this is what you look for, and this is how I would feedback, and then they just absorb that knowledge like a sponge, and then they mm. just ramp up production super quickly. Um, so I think it's just the explosion in the last 10 years of the internet that's just, like, birthed all these yeah. art directors into the industry, so, yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good, good, uh, good um, analysis, definitely. But um, it, 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 it does create. Um, there's a certain amount of, like, I don't want to say animosity, but it's like mm. there's a, there's a. Yeah, it is animosity. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's pe- people do not want to, you know, certainly someone who's been been in the art department for you know since the eighties or whatever, yeah, being told what to do by a twenty five year old. It was kind of like the the hierarchy was always the older lot, and yeah. you know they were always ahead of you, um, and it's just an, you know time yeah. marches on and all the rest of it, but. Um, it it, uh, it is a funny funny thing the last few years. It's really like the the, the whole industry is skewed massively with the amount of um, investment and stuff that's come in inward investment into the UK film industry. You know the studios springing up everywhere. Yep. Huge stages like we did Ghostbusters, um, Frozen Empire mm-hmm. uh, in back in the summer, mm-hmm. and um, we were shooting that down at Shimfield. Uh, studios, which is a new, well, Shinfield's been there a while because they had the, they did Star Wars there. Right. Um, one of the Star Wars series was mm-hmm. was there, but they expanded the site, so they built another seventeen stages or something ridiculous, it was like loads of stages. Mm-hmm. Um, and before it, any of them were ready, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters had nowhere to go, mm-hmm. so they picked Shinfield for one stage, and they basically the the the, the construction company put all their efforts into finishing one stage, one sound stage for Ghostbusters. So we built the firehouse in, inside the inside this stage. Yeah. But the entire site was a complete uh, construction site. You know, it was, mm-hmm. a, um, it was a quagmire. Mm-hmm. But when you get down there and you're looking around, you're thinking, God, when they finish this, this is going to be a mega studio. This is yeah. like bigger than Shepperton. Right. Um, I mean, well, at the time, Shepperton hadn't didn't done their expansion. But they're, mm-hmm. you know... Shepperton's expansion now they've got it I live right by Shepperton Studios and they have got uh, it's a massive expansion down there it's going to be like the biggest film studio in the world by the time it's finished but even that alone even if they were just expanding Shepperton mm-hmm. you'd think well who's going to who's going to crew all these jobs that are going in there mm-hmm. and it's not just Shepperton it's Shimfield it's Arborfield it's mm-hmm. um uh, Winnish, it's mm-hmm. Pinewood expanding, Leavesden are expanding, mm-hmm. um, Sky Studios, they've got another um, studios, uh, Elstree are, are being sold off, but they're building another massive thing for all the Elstree lot. Wow. There's ones in Kent, there's ones in Scotland, and now there's yeah. in two big studios in Wales. You know, there's probably going to be some in the Midlands soon, and probably some on the south coast. You know, yep. it's getting to a point where it's not London centric anymore, which is great. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I really worry about how how they're gonna how they're gonna crew it. Oh, I mean, they will crew it. Yeah. They'll find the people, but it's the caliber of the people, and that is the problem with um, the reason the Americans come over here and the reason. They say they come over here. I mean, a lot of it's to do with the tax breaks, but mm-hmm. one of the main reasons is they love the finishes that we do. You know, the the, us, the sets and the, the artisans that work in the film industry, the plasterers, the painters, mm-hmm. are the best in the world. Yeah, and that's getting watered down, watered down every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talk to construction guys who cannot find 
any decent chippies and they're hiring them hiring them in from kitchen fitting companies yeah because you know they can't find you know um bespoke joiners People or they can't find yeah. um like the 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 plasterers like fibrous plasting like mm-hmm. um proper decorative moldings mm-hmm. so you know crown moldings and stuff and running your own molds and all of that you can't find people that can do it and it takes too long to train them mm-hmm. so you end up with this sort of, sort of like hodgepodge of like fudged methods now yeah. um and it, it, it does have a detrimental effect i think so i like the idea that if these strikes have been so detrimental to everyone mm. particularly the studios that they are going back to the drawing board and they are thinking about actually it's quality over quantity yeah. i think that they should go back to how are we going to overcome this stressful yeah. trying to keep up with all these programs that everyone watches and yeah. says oh have you seen have you have you been watching this and you go no we're in the middle of this one oh you got to watch that one and you put it on the <laughs> list and you get, you get stressed out that you haven't watched it and everyone's yeah. watching it like it's like we- oh i hate that we talked about this when we went to see Flash um, last year, and yeah. as much as it was a decent, whatever. I mean, I, I really hate um, the actor who plays Flash. Um, oh, Ezra. The, yeah. So yeah. I mean, obviously, with everything that's been happening in the media and all that kind of crap. But um, but we went to see it, you know, regardless because I wanted the the you know the Keaton Batman moment. We were all looking for it and stuff like that. So, um, which was it was fine. It was great. It was fun to see him again, take on the character and all that kind of stuff. But the VFX was particularly dodgy and we actually then watched a TikTok of one of the VFX guys who worked on the film and he was like, if it looks like the VFX was done in two weeks, it was. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, there was such a rush to get the stuff out the door and it had been delayed so many times and changed direction and, um, you know, it's like you said with the, the Marvel movies just not hitting anymore. People, I think, up until Endgame had that whole 10-year cycle of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was great. It was all well put together and well done. But after that, when the TV series yeah. started hitting and the extra movies, people were kind of just, I think, just burnt out on the, the same st- kind of stuff over and over and over again. And um, I think that it's the same problem that games are now facing as well. Like we were just talking before we started recording about um, all the guys at Riot Games who just got let go the other day because they were taking off of projects that were supposed to be, you know, during COVID, there was this huge boom in games and people were getting taken on and new projects were getting started. But now, you know, that's all kind of went, you know, it's all died because now the the demand isn't there anymore because people are getting out of the house or trying not to stay in anymore because of covid so you know all these companies are folding and things that were popped up overnight are dying and of course the, the right guys are, are all being like go the problem is there's no training structure and the fact that like a lot of these industries have you know a lot of the seniority high up or people who are art directors and have jumped in at the, the top end but then there's a huge lack of people coming up through the system where you learn and build a trade and keep in that industry for years. And like you said, you spend nearly a decade learning your whole trade, running, getting to know the, the departments and doing your trade. When I was an engineer, when I was taken on when I was 17, 18 years old, I knew nothing about engineering. I knew nothing about what my job was. But then over a three-year period, I was trained. And then yeah. after the three-year period, when my training wheels came off, I was then let loose into doing my own thing. And I learned on the job. Um, and then eventually had a good workforce because they were bringing in trainees regularly. And that's kind of stopped halfway through my time at the at the company and then that was then the problem of when all the older guys left and retired there was nobody to fill the jobs and then they had no workforce coming through so we were all lost so yeah that whole stagnation is affecting every industry including the film and tv industry and games yeah yeah no totally and uh it's it's uh 
well, I mean, there, there's no, um, there, there's no training. There is no training in, in the film industry. There is no training, like not, not like there should be, or like there once was. You used yeah. to have apprenticeships years and years ago, mm-hmm. and now it just doesn't happen. I mean, I try, like when I'm on a job, I try and take the juniors sort of under my wing a little bit and help them as yep. much as I can, but I'm, I'm too up against it to well, you don't want... spend time trying to teach them how to do a drawing or teach them how to, you know, do stuff. Because, I mean, I, I never... <laughs> so I'm very open to giving people information and, and trying to help them as, like, you know, because I do my, my tutorials, yeah. which is fine, and uh, happy to share secrets and trade secrets, if that's what you want to call them, and give mm-hmm. them out. When I was coming up through, mm-hmm. learning on the board, trying to draft... All the art directors I work with were like gatekeepers of the knowledge. They would not tell you how to do anything because yeah. they didn't want you taking their job. So I had to like, I had to basically like, you know, sort of peer over their board and see, oh, how do yes. they do that, or, or yeah. how do they do this, and kind of, you know, and it was great then because it was on the big boards and everyone yeah. was in a, everyone was in an art department and you walk around and you could literally look at all these amazing pieces of artwork. Yeah quite easily now everyone's on a screen and on that screen they're inside a model twirling around doing whatever yeah. you've got no chance as a junior coming in unless you know you're not going to learn anything from looking at someone's screen yeah. and you uh you can't stand all day and look at someone's screen either because then you get told off because you're doing nothing no, exactly. Just doing, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so unless unless there's a training thing or unless you're open to like you know i tend to say to people look come and have a look at like Come sit down, have a look. Yeah. I'll show you how to do this. And uh, you know, and I get them to go down to the art, go go down to the workshops because that's another thing they don't do anymore. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll go uh, like on um, Ghostbusters. We had a big sculpt. Can't tell you what it was, but it was mm-hmm. this really impressive sculpt. Mm-hmm. And um, it came up to the art department one day, and the, and the juniors were like, "Wow, that's amazing! Like, who did that? What? It's like it's been down in the workshop for three weeks. Have you not seen it?" <laughs> Oh, no, no, like, like, do you not go down to the workshop? Like, it was really like, it really like amazed me because I was that when I was the, in their boots, I'd be you down the workshop for about five yeah. minutes trying to find out what was going on, having cups of tea with the plasterers and yeah, chatting and all the rest but, of it. They I mean, just when I used to watch the... their office on their phones now, it's like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> when I used to watch the making of stuff that really got many, like, the first proper making of I watched was the making of episode one when Lucas was doing the prequels and coming back to Star Wars and obviously filmed a lot of it at Pinewood. Um, mm. And it was watching the prop guys like mold the lightsabers and mold the droids and all the puppets and creatures that they used at the time and stuff. And cause he was still kind of doing all of those practical effects. Um, and like, yeah, like that stuff, I almost went the prop making route and that's why I got into 3d prop making for games, like making 3d designs and, and Maya and Max and stuff like that because it was almost like doing the same thing but not having to go through that route of like learning the practical stuff of building like foam and pvc and all that kind of stuff and mm. but that stuff just amazed me that, that that skill and especially when abrams came back and done force awakens that creature department was obviously run up again because he was adamant of using the practical stuff again so yeah it's yeah lost art I, it, honestly as well i don't care what anyone says practical effects are without a doubt the best way to, to do stuff oh, just just absolutely like i went to see wonka uh the other day with my kids right. and i was i was i'd seen like there's there's some um 
industry uh, newsletters and things that I get where showing the sets for Wonka. Right. And they look great. Like the set, the big sets, like, like it looked like a Viennese kind of uh, town and really lovely stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go and see the film and it's got like this weird CG sheen over the top of it. Like they've added, like they've done the set extension, but then they've also like, they've sort of, I don't, know, I don't know what they've done, but the whole thing looks plastic and fake. It feels off. Weird. Yeah. I was just like, why, why have I done that? Just re- just have the practical set. You don't need to augment it with with CG mm. stuff. You know, you could have easily have done a real chocolate fountain, like having a, a, a computerized computer chocolate fountain thing. It's just like, but again, some of these productions, because a lot of the guys we've had on some, some times previously have been matte painters and guys who work in those kind of digital effects and a lot of it just comes down to cost. Like it might just be, you know, a couple of grand cheaper just to do a quick, you know, turnaround in VFX versus like building mm-hmm. something that you feel like you're going to knock down in a couple of weeks. But I know what you mean. Like the, that's again why the, the only thing I've really I love that's modern that kind of plays on the practical effects is the the Unreal settings. You know, um, Favreau was using it kind of like on uh, Mandalorian, but the, the, the Unreal background, the, yeah, yeah, the light thing, the the the, the like the virtual sets essentially. Yeah. The, the, um because they used it on i know they used it on the batman and um, where they had that the scenes up in the towers and stuff like that on top of the skyscrapers where they had the the outlook into chicago was all the the, the panels and stuff but mm. like i think a lot of, like you said it's like the practical stuff is just so noticeable when it's done well but then when people do the kind of cheap route or they do things that in the essence of time then yeah like you're sitting there as an audience member like what the fuck you know um yeah yeah and I mean, I've got it from the other side working with VFX guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 get given so much to do. Yep. Because in the meetings and everything, they go, "Oh, we'll do that in post." And you can see the you can see the VFX guys out <laughs> there going, "What? You know, like we didn't budget for that." Uh, you know, and it ends up being like, uh, you know, they 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 signed on the job for, I don't know. 500 visual effects shots and they've actually ended up having to do 2800 yeah oh my god you know and this is the problem again with vfx houses and the rest of the bottom because my friends again like my my close friends are matte painters and it's like yeah like you know like oh i've got 60 shots today to handle like in the next eight hours and it's like it's ridiculous because you know like they'll like oh we'll do it for you know we'll do they're they're quoting 35 grand build it for 25 and they're like great you've got the job and then it's like yeah but then People, somebody caught with 35 grand because they were trying to pay people fair wages and stuff and actually mm-hmm. plan out time to take these shots and make them look good. But now because yeah. you've quoted half the price, you know, you've got to do it in half the time. And it's yeah. crazy. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And, it, and it has a knock-on effect to the overall quality of the, the, the production. You know, the mo- most people, when they go see a film, mm-hmm. whether the film is script-wise, whether it's good or bad, is immaterial. If the effects are shit... Yep. That's all people will talk about is yeah. how shit the the, the CG was. It you know, wrong. It looked off. Down Candy yeah. Valley pets. And... Exactly, exactly. So it's um, it, that's one of those really important things to get right. Yeah, uh, I think. Which uh, I can imagine on something like Ghostbusters would have been also a kind of priority because it seems like a film that would rely more on the practical stuff or would have that rooted in, you know, like I mean, which is you know, obviously. The film, I think, is getting a lot of hype, and a lot of people are seeing it because you know it's proper Ghostbusters coming back, and you know Afterlife was one thing where like it wasn't yeah. until you know obviously spoilers with that for film where the guys come back at the end, you know, and it's the yeah. whole thing of like them fighting together. Um, yeah. But this one exclusively is like you no know, from the start, kind of people are knowing that like there's no Ghostbusters are there, the new guys, 
Um, so it seems like one of those films that like the practical effects, eighties kind of stuff is going to be there a lot. So, yeah, I think um, Jason Reitman and uh, well, obviously Jason's got his own reasons for wanting to do Ghostbusters yeah. and his dad and all the rest of it. And yep. um, I feel like, you know, he doesn't want to tamper with the, with the way a Ghostbusters movie should be made sort of thing. Yep. Yep. And certainly Gil, uh, the director, um, is a huge, you know, OG Ghostbusters fan as well. Yep. So it, it was a film. It's the first time it's ever happened for me really is, is being on a, on a set where everyone there is a fan and wants it to be amazing. Amazing. You know, yeah. Like, like the original was yeah. and still is. I mean, you know, which I've been told with some of the friends I know who worked on the Batman, they were saying it was a similar vibe, like, because that was such a huge IP and, you know, even though it was trying to get made during COVID and I've watched that making of, you know, when they tried to obviously, you know, halfway through shooting COVID hit and they go through the yeah. whole thing of like, you know, getting people masks and distancing and all that kind of shit. And even the fact that I never knew it was, a lot of that was shot in Liverpool as well. You know, and a lot of the practical uh, scenes and stuff with Robert Parson. Well, they only did a week in in Liverpool. Right. Um, I was on the Batman. I did. Um, okay. I did. I did the orphanage. Uh, oh, cool. Um, well, a bit of the orphanage, and I yeah. did um, the uh, the train station. Drew oh, nice. all that up. So that was that was a real really nice thing to do. Yep. In hindsight. Because when yeah. I was there at the time, I'm like, oh my God, I'm on a Batman film. This is so cool. Like, uh, uh, yeah. you know, cause I'm such a huge Batman, original Batman fan and like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you get there and they go, right, we want you to draw this up. And it's, it, it was really boring to draw up. It was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, a train, train station. station. It's not the Batcave. Like, it's no the wind yeah, tower. So yeah. Drew it up, get it, get it done, get it out, you know, whatever. And then it ends up becoming, I was talking to someone about this the other day. That scene uh, where he I was says, just about I to say the exact same thing you're going to say, yeah, it's such an iconic part of it. It, yeah. it becomes an iconic thing because of what happened in it, not yeah. necessarily because it's an amazing, elaborate set. So well, it, it was, yeah. um, it was quite a nice thing to sort of, in hindsight, go, actually, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to work on that because that's, that's well, brilliant. I was going to say it was mostly because I think because of the trailer, because when the, the, the official big first trailer dropped, it was the whole thing of him beating the shit out of the guy. Everybody yeah. kind of like jumped out their seats at like, oh my god, that's incredible, and I'm vengeance and all that kind of shit. And but like, yeah, it's one of the things. Like, it's funny when you work on stuff and then you think to yourself, oh god, nobody's ever going to see this or, or give a shit. But like, then yeah. all of these things go well for the weirdest parts. And you're like, oh, well, I worked on that part. Like, I didn't realize it was going to be <laughs> always so the way. Yeah. Always the way. You think, oh, no one will ever see that, and it's right in the middle of the frame. You're like, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> um, so. Which is crazy to think a lot of these sets are. Like so much, I mean, the way you're talking about, you know, I don't know, obviously you can't talk too much about it because Ghostbusters isn't in now at this point, but like the fact you're talking about like how, you know, because obviously you've seen it on your, your reels and stuff, but the, 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 and they've showed it in the, the behind the, the fiend scene stuff that they've already released where the, the firehouse is, is, it's not on location in New York. It's something that's been built in the, the studio as a set. Um, and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's always surprising when you see the things that are built versus going to location um and the the firehouse seems like one of the things i thought they would have tried to almost preserve because obviously that is the, it's an iconic location in new york and um but then I, I, you know it's well, like, yeah yeah no totally um the 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 one in new york is a working firehouse so um uh hook and ladder eight are the the company there and right. they um 
I went out to New York for, a, well, I'd like to say it was for a recce. It was more for a jolly, really, just to go <laughs> to the Ghostbusters firehouse. Yeah, of course. Uh, my boss sent me out there because she knew, she was like, Yo, you'd love to go out there. Why don't you go out and, like, check I'm in with the, the stuff, American yeah. Art Department? Because they were going to do exterior scenes in New York for driving past and all that. Right, yeah. <clears throat> but we copied that verbatim down to chewing gum on the yeah, wall. Yeah, the doors and handles you know, and we did it. And... We did that. And and the, the other reason is that not, not a lot of people know mm-hmm. uh, this, but the interiors from the original, mm-hmm. so Venkman's office and, you know, the, the, the columns and all that, right. that was um, an interior in Los Angeles. That's a firehouse in Los Angeles. Uh, um, okay. So they did all the interiors uh, for Ghostbusters in Hollywood. And right. they did all the exteriors in New York. New York. Um, and they've never been composite together, obviously, because you can't. So if you watch Ghostbusters 2, where you see Lewis running out of the... He comes running out after the car, right. out of the New York... Um, uh, out oh, of the New York uh, firehouse. Yeah. And the doors behind him are open, and you can see in, and it's a completely different... Only for a split second, right. you can see it, and it's a completely different... You know, right. it's not the L.A location right, okay. yeah. so it's really funny because you don't know until until you know and then you yeah. watch it back and you go oh my god yeah it's totally, you never totally realize yeah. and the other thing the the los angeles one is 150 feet long right uh, inside um and the new york one is only 98 feet long right so you can't fit the two inside each other together. but we did on the stage we composite them together yeah so and you'd never know um and we did and we did the upstairs you know the upstairs of the with the firehouse stuff, um, yeah, and uh, they were all composites on different stages, but it was it was great, you know. I mean, that was a like kid in a candy shop for me. I was just absolutely in my element. I never, I will never work on a film. I don't think in the future and be that excited to go to work every day. It yeah. was just the best. Thing. I mean, stuff like like you're saying, like Batman, like Ghostbusters. It's it's things we all grew up up with and getting to work on you know like certain franchises and things and things i've got to work on that i thought i'd never get to work on as well it's like yeah it's the inner child and you you're always like oh you know if you could see me now you know it's it's, oh i had that like all the time like i was you know they did a props thing uh on ghostbusters where the the backpack um, and stuff and the the well they got everything out yeah and they said they it was mainly for the prop guys Mm -hmm. to give them a lowdown on like so this is a pke meter this is a blah 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 this Mm -hmm. is a you know radio control trap this is a blah 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 so and the producer eric reich did this sort of walkthrough with Mm -hmm. them all and i was just fanning out over everything and going oh my god that's in the background of the first one when they when they when they um, get kicked out of the university and the guy with the headphones is wheeling that out, they've got that here. Oh yeah. my God. It was like over this silly props, you know? Yeah. And um, I just, ah, oh, it was just so good. I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait to sort of share stuff yeah. about it when it's released. Cause it's going to be the ultimate thing for me to sort of It, it does share. look, I mean, for the trailers I've seen so far and this, even the behind the scenes stuff they've released, it, it does look incredible. The fact that they've, you know, they've, I think they've put a lot of love and attention and care into the franchise and obviously making it look good. And which is what I love about not only film but games production now is like the attention to detail that goes into stuff. And people always like, especially when I first got in the industry, you'd always say that thing about like, what the fuck is attention to detail? But like, how do you how do you train that? And how do you train having attention to detail? And have, but it's like it's the tiny wee, you know, like when I made at one point, I made a gun turret as a kind of personal project in three D and. 
it was the stuff like uh, you know the capsules on the top that cooled the gun when mm. i made it initially and i was talking to my mark director at the time he was like yeah but then you know because the the capsules are on a, a kind of angle that f- the liquid would actually be flat it wouldn't be the same shape as the the, the glass mm. jar it would you know come to gravity and it would be it would be level so you have to turn the water for that way to that way i'm like who the fuck is going to look at that but when i changed it i was like oh yeah like it makes so much more sense and yeah yeah so much yeah like it's it's the tiny wee things like that is when people watch stuff or experience a piece of art they're like oh like i didn't realize how in depth i've went with that stuff and you were saying like when you recreated the firehouse like down to the chewing gum on some of the door frames and stuff mm. people might not see it initially but when you go back maybe 10 years later they're like oh look look there's you know in the corner and it was it was a real um i gotta say the the best day was when um uh uh dan Aykroyd and bill murray came to set oh, wow. before we started shooting mm-hmm. i was in there mm-hmm. and there was this rumor going around bill murray and dan Aykroyd are going to come down and i was like they're not going to come down <laughs> they didn't come down before shooting this is like a week before and i was just stood in the set doing something and yeah. I looked up right as they walked in the door and I went, and I just, my jaw hit the floor. I was <laughs> the like, floor. <laughs> <laughs> my God. Yeah. And they came over and they were with um, Jason and uh, right. Gil mm-hmm. uh, and they were showing them around the set. Mm-hmm. And then, they, and then like Gil, bless him. It was very, cause he knows I'm a huge, he knew I was a huge Ghostbusters fan. I'm sort of like, being quiet in the background sort of like oh, yeah. yes, Bill Murray oh my god and he's introduced me uh he said oh Bill this is Luke he's the art director he did it and Bill just came over and shook my hand and Dan Aykroyd were both like this is the best set this is just this is exactly like it was in 84 and I just was oh, like wow. well I can die happy now that's, that's exactly. it <laughs> <laughs> thank you I'm gonna go pass away now quite yeah, exactly. in the corner. so uh mm. and I'll, I'll never forget I've got to write all this down at some point because I don't want to ever forget it and put it in a book or something because it was just every day was like that every day yeah. I'd meet someone or someone would come in mm-hmm. or there would be a prop or there would be a something in the script that they would bring out and you'd think, Oh my God, you know, this is going to be so cool. And yep. all the graphics, all of the, you know, cause it's all the iconography of Ghostbusters is it's in my mind is like the iconography of the eighties. Yeah. You know, you kind of got, you've got, you've got a certain amount of things in the eighties that if, if you, if someone says describe the eighties, you go Ghostbusters back to the future. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Gremlins. You know, that that yeah. kind of, that, that it's up there with like, um the bigger franchises yeah and it's yeah. the iconography of new york as well you know yeah everything you want as a kid mm-hmm. thinking about hollywood movies and america yep. being this you know land of free and all the rest Animation of it and, and stuff and, like that yeah yeah and you and you're you're stood there on a set on this iconic set that you've drawn up and overseen the build of and yep everyone that was in the original movie is coming yeah. up to you going, this is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, you know. I think it was so, probably, yeah, on you go. No, I just said, so it was just, you know, like I said before, I, I don't think I will ever, that's pinnacle career for me. Yeah. It's all downhill from that. I mean, <laughs> I like, mean, yeah, I mean, like, stuff like that definitely, like you grew up on in Batman. And I mean, for me, it's definitely Star Wars. Like if I ever got to work in any Star Wars franchises, it's, it would be a dream come true. But like, yeah, like, I think the whole thing of the 80s back then was a time when people took chances. Studios took chances on people, you know, doing well. Because even stuff like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters, 
trying to pitch that now, I don't think would fly as much as it did back then, you know. And no, absolutely. I think especially with the fact that like there was so many good names attached to, you know, Ghostbusters because Dan Aykroyd and um um I forget the actor who passed recently, who also wrote co wrote oh, it with Howard Remus. Howard Remus, yeah. yeah. So when they wrote that, obviously their names were attached to it because it's stuff like Saturday Night Live, they'd already yeah. had, you know, the, the film career and stuff like that. So but like yeah, a lot of the, the pitches back then, even stuff like aliens, I mean, you know, definitely maybe even might have, have flown in a sense like a horror genre because horror gets a kind of wide berth because you know it's a bit weird and wonderful. But mm. there's so many movies back then that you know, I think I was watching Plane Trains and Automobiles the other day, and even that is like such a weird concept for a, a kind of buddy comedy film, yeah. stuff like Lethal Weapon, you know, like it's stuff where you know you look back at the 80s and 90s films and you think to yourself how did that get made and how are they not making stuff like this anymore and you know yeah. i know some directors are also trying to go back there and, and bring that era back but yeah it's definitely yeah no i definitely you know the, the the age of uh you know this sort of like 10 year run of superhero movies or even longer than that now whatever it is 12 probably yeah. nearly 15 years of superhero movies it's got to be coming to an end now it's got to be like the westerns in the you know in the 40s and 50s and yep. then sort of trails off in the 60s and then it would only be once in a while you'd get a western movie yeah and when they were made they were great like unforgiven or tombstone or whatever yep. um so i think that would be the thing like going forward i'd like to see like no superhero movies for like 10 years and then give all them of a sudden break. everyone comes out and everyone goes ah oh, that's so cool you like know even just um, giving them a, a like that reinvention almost where like you go away quietly and try to find a way of making it interesting again and like you said in yeah. 10 years time coming back and really like the love of the sucker punch of like oh my god here we go here are the stuff you know and yeah. um which upsets me a wee bit because i'm also a huge um blade fan and i know they're you know still remaking that that's still in the works of that getting made and yeah. um i know having watched the game awards recently they're making uh, a game based on it as well and it takes place in paris so that's gonna be interesting but like yeah so i would just like them to like you said to take a bit more time and 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 uh and uh, i don't know what it was it must have just been this whole thing of like especially during covid but even before that people just throwing money at stuff but yeah. you know with the strikes and you know people getting mistreated. it wasn't even the fact that it was the writers because i was watching all the strike stuff it was even people like who were just pas and runners who were having to work 14 hour days but were driving home and nearly killing themselves because they were so tired they were exhausted yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. and it, and it, you know something's got to give at the end of the day because the money was coming in mm -hmm. they were making the hand of money hand over fist and yet the crews were suffering massively yeah. because they were just you know haven't really seen a real terms pay rise for about 10 years yep. and um you know don't get me don't get me wrong we are well compensated for what we do yeah well it's a very well paid job but mm. it isn't um there's no uh security in it so yeah. i don't have a pension i don't have it's private like health care or anything like that I'm, yeah. yeah i'm i'm if i'm out of work that's it you know shit what do i do yeah. um yeah. but uh there's there, there's been this disparity for a long time i always used to say like you know how many times can a big star get paid 27 million pounds a movie Right. How many times do you get a twenty-seven million pound payday before you turn around and go, do you know what, actually, I've got enough money. Yeah. I'll do it. Why don't you share that twenty-seven million amongst the crew? And that would yep. give every crew member a fifty grand bonus, you know? Yep. Uh and that would make everyone happy, would make everyone want to come and work. Because at the end of the day, that actor is getting paid twenty seven million quid. He's only there for six weeks. Even like, not even every day. Even if it's paid you know, twenty five and you take two million away from it. 
and that goes around the crew. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, the crew that are there day in, day out, 12 hours a day, six days a week for six months, mm-hmm. you know, and they can't afford to take a break in between jobs because they just can't. They've got to go straight on to the next one. Yep. Something isn't right there, in my yeah. opinion. I think it's, you know... I mean, um, it's, it's interesting the fact that I came from an engineering background and so I worked in the railway, in the UK railway industry, so yeah. I worked network rail. And, um, you know, we had, from day one, pensions, sick leave. But that's because guys like my dad, back in the 70s and 80s, stood on picket lines to get that stuff, you know, you know, part of their, their, their T's and C's. But it was weird to me in an industry where, you know, you could be sacked at any time. You know, there was never a guarantee of sick leave or, or maternity leave or, you know, pensions and stuff like that. And, you know, coming from places where unions were a, a norm and then into this industry, mm-hmm. it's like, well, why don't? But it's weird how places like, you know, like the animation industry in America, for example, the guys work at Disney and stuff like that, the Animators Guild have a thing where, you know, like you're guaranteed so many days off, you know, you get so much sick leave, you get so many it needs to be industry-wide like we especially like you said during like the stuff where people are now being laid off like and at moments notice like we just talked about riot this is yeah. why we need unions because you know like studios have been getting away from that for way too long there's a whole uh, article i read on like how games production is really like hitting us up now because you get this whole thing of like four to five years in a project and as soon as the game is released everybody gets laid off you know and we've got to yeah. try and stop that way of like people getting burnt out and then dying for like a year because like they've got nothing else to work on and then it comes back and they've got to change studios they've got to change countries they've got to move 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 um, and yeah. you know especially in america like it's like oh that's on the east coast or it's on the west coast or it's in the middle just people get fucking fed up and you can't raise a family you can't settle you can't buy a house you know especially if you work where most of the work is in la you know it's like a million pound a house out there like you're, yeah. <laughs> you're never or london london's yeah. just exactly the same right so i mean it's yeah yeah um it's it's a misnomer that it's this the kind of uh, um, you know uh, glamorous. I mean, you know, I mean there is there is glamour in there, but it's not like you know you got to have a real reality check when you're sat in a porter cabin on a rainy Tuesday in the middle of Slough. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, is this it? Yeah. <laughs> like, like my Hollywood mean- mansion, you know. I don't know. <laughs> You, you got to meet Dan Aykroyd, oh, fucking fantastic. I need to go back to work now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, you've got to come home and empty the bins. And like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so yeah. 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 It, it, it's one of these things I think it's not going to get fixed overnight, but definitely needs to get fixed. That's, that's the, oh, the, totally. And like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, every, that we should get paid loads more or anything like that, but it just, it does really... Um, stick in the craw a little bit when they turn around and say you know for the, so these strikes for example no one no one consulted me on whether actors or writers could strike but yeah. i was expected to just stand by and, and support them wholeheartedly yeah. you know mm-hmm. and now i'm hearing reports that now now things are coming back and trickling back to work mm-hmm. people are being asked to take pay cuts because mm-hmm. of all the money that was lost over the strikes it's like there's no actors or writers sticking up for us now, you know. So I, yeah. I feel I get a little bit like, nah. Um, I just kind of feel really, uh, I'm quite angry about it to be honest. Because yeah, I mean, a hundred percent makes sense. And this is the thing we were talking about with a lot of the industry guys I spoke to who were saying, you know, the actors are one thing, and you know, and don't get me wrong, like you know, we talk about like Brian Cranston doing the speech and stuff like that. And he's probably got enough money; he can take time off. 
but you know but there was also day actors who are guys that are extras who maybe get you know three four hundred a day or something like that so they're no yeah. rich but they also struck but the hope is that that then has a domino effect where because they have then went to the board to try and get more rights that that'll cascade down to us eventually and we'll also get more rights but the thing is it probably will be a thing at one point where you guys will have to strike the, the artisan industry will have to strike on their own because yeah. they also but it's difficult because i think i don't think i don't think we have as much power as the actors i think if we went on strike you know we definitely things wouldn't get done but i don't know if we would hold as much weight or gravitas as the actors and the writers you know what i mean it's, yeah. it's difficult construction have got a great union they yeah. they um they were going they they went in for their they have an annual sort of pay rise and meet all that stuff yeah and uh i remember i was on doctor strange mm-hmm. in so that was 2015 mm-hmm. and then their annual thing come through and the and packed the producers union mm-hmm. had already preemptively said we're not going to agree to any terms whatever they want we're not agreeing to terms this time so mm-hmm. all of the head hod um construction managers mm-hmm. phoned everyone up on that one day right and said, right tools down go home we're not mm-hmm. going to do this so they everyone put their tools down and within two hours of them putting their tools down they got everything they wanted <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah the art department did that they'd just go well, we'll just find someone else <laughs> I know, and, and that's the difficult thing is like, you know, I remember getting told that really early on about the fact that, especially in games, because a lot of the guys who work in games early on and a lot of the juniors, you know, when I got to, I mean, still a project I can never talk about, but I got to work on a AAA project, you know, for a, a games company and it was a dream come true, definitely working on that. But, you know, it's one of these things where you do feel every moment you're replaceable, that somebody could just come in the back of you and just like that, take your job off you. And mm. it's not a great feeling. And I think studios for so many years have took advantage of, you know, like, you know, even the, a triple A interviewed for at one point, the starting salary they were offering me was like the money you would get at McDonald's as a manager. You know, it's like four years in a, a university getting a degree and then all the experience and interning, like to then turn around and be like, well, cool, we can offer you this amount of money. You know, it's like, I don't know, 23, 24K. And you're like, really? <laughs> really? You know, your company makes how many million off this yeah. video game or this film? And, you know, you can't pay me. You know, I think I the, the, the tax, um, the, the tax uh, breaks that they get, for example, that's why it boomed here for so long because mm-hmm. of the tax breaks that are available to them. So I read a, a report and you'll have to fact check this, but yeah. this was a while ago. Mm. So I'm probably just making these numbers up, but it was ex- astonishing. So I worked on Thor 2, Dark World, mm-hmm. and they made that, for a, a they had a UK spend of fifty six million, mm-hmm. which they got whatever it was back twenty percent mm-hmm. back as the tax the tax break for that. So they ended up they only actually spent thirty four million or whatever. Right, and the movie went on to gross uh, something like two hundred ninety million. Right, for for a twenty million spend or whatever yeah. it was, a thirty million spend, mm-hmm. and uh, you think, well, who's getting all that money? Yeah, like where's that going? Producers, yeah. (laughs) I know the shareholders will be probably getting a lot of money, but Christ, the the studio gets so much money. The thing, and that's the problem I think with the film industry as well is, is you can't replicate that constantly, and you can't always chase profit. You know, the fact that they talked about that Sound of Freedom film that came out, and I think they they spent fifteen million making it, but it's grossed 
about 100 million at the box office and there's films that do that where they make it for next to nothing and it will do crazy money um mm. even barbie at this point i think is it's i think it's grossed a billion at this point it's, it's yeah. close to that number anyway yeah but but yeah like margot robbie will not get a bump in her pay i don't know she might i don't know but you know like the crew won't get a bump in their pay but then like the producers get a cut the studio gets a cut mattel gets a cut you know mm. so it's like this is, what, this is what I couldn't understand with the actors thing as well, talking about their residuals. Mm-hmm. Like, going, well, I only get, you know, I was in, I don't know, LA Law. Right. Low-end low, low actor, not, mm-hmm. not like a big star, but like, you know, I was in LA Law for 10 mm-hmm. years and uh, I get $36 a week in residuals or whatever. Yeah. Like, and that's really low. And I go, well, that is low, but you aren't getting residuals. Yeah. I don't get a residual every time any film I've worked on ever gets shown. I'm no, not sure how many times yeah. Endgame's been seen. Yeah. You know, I would love to get a residual from that, even if it was a penny <laughs> for every time <laughs> it was seen. You know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I know, it, it's, um, if it was five, six hundred pounds a month or something that could keep you going if there was no work. I mean, exactly. like, it's, and it, yeah. it's, um, you know, because it's not the only thing they've done. You know, across the career, I always remember um, I did. Um, I did a commercial for Tesco's years ago with Martin Clunes right. and he was telling me uh, about the residuals he got for reruns of Men Behaving Badly and it was enough to buy his house in Dorset just from the rerun money of Men Behaving Badly on UK Gold or whatever it was. Jesus. I was like, how's that? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. like... Uh, um, yeah. It's, it's the dice you're always being an actor also because if you have screen time and you have a significant role like even stuff like uk tv like you know ron atkinson must be you know taking him fucking god knows how much money between mr bean and blackadder and stuff like that you know exactly mr bean there's only 14 episodes of mr bean yeah it's, it's run forever and ever <laughs> and uh yeah but i think the point i was trying to make was like if you're going to do residuals it should be across the board for everyone that worked on the film down to the caterer Yes. You know, everyone yeah. should get a cut of it when if it's rerun. Yeah. You know, it shouldn't just be the actors because, yeah. you know. Yeah. When I used to work, I used to work in a pizza hut, right? And I worked right. in the kitchens when I was a student, right? Uh-huh. And the front of house staff would get tips, right? Yeah. And they were told they had to pull their tips and share them amongst themselves. So right. one person on the floor might get five dot five pound tip, yeah. and then another person might make fifty pounds tips. But they'd have to pull it at the end and then share it amongst themselves. But they never shared it with the kitchen staff who were doing all the dog the work. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly it's exactly the same thing. It's like, well, hang on a minute, how's that fair? That's not fair. Yeah. You know, if you're going to get a residual, I want a residual. Yeah. Right. Um, but now yeah. I'm ranting. No, 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 no. But it, it's right what you're saying. I think because we started on the strikes, and it's one of these things that, like, yeah, the, the, there's so many things that still need addressed within the art departments and, and and the art department for i think for the longest time in a lot of productions not even just what we do in films and games but like you know animation across the board tv you know they are like the unsung heroes you know even people like grips you know people who like yeah. are, you know have a particular job and do things everybody really needs to be acknowledged as like what's the phrase it takes a village you know like you, absolutely ghostbusters absolutely. doesn't come out of thin air you know you hire a crew because you want to hire the best but then you know, they build these, and the, the thing that always guts me as well is the fact that you spend so long making these incredible sets, stuff like the firehouse, and then once it's done, production's finished, it's torn down, and it's thrown in a bin, you know, like, it's it's no, you know, you take a million pictures, and people get to walk about it for so long, but, like, you know, these things are, like, 
you feel like you have nothing to show at the end of it, and then it, it, yeah. you're on, like on to the next production, you're on to the next thing, and it, you know yeah. it's it's difficult. It, it, was, it was quite uh, quite upsetting actually because that was mm-hmm. one of the jobs where I actually stayed around for the for them to start taking it apart mm-hmm. um, because I I'd spent so long putting it up and yeah. making it amazing. I was like it's kind of like the death of a friend, you know, <laughs> kind of like want to be there to make sure it all went all right. It's treated right, and, yeah. yeah. And I had the uh, the props guys were like ripping off the um the letters on the front of the firehouse yeah. just like with no care you know just like ripping it off and like everything's breaking apart and like, like oh God. i mean and they just literally just push the walls over and you know yeah. like, oh, it's really like <laughs> do you get to do you get to, i mean like un- unofficially but do you get do you ever like keep a like any of this stuff or get to get take anything back or like keep a part of it or is it any yeah other- I, I do i always keep i always take a little bit of something like i got um so i i had a deal with um uh the prop man we had a the the ghostbusters sign that mm-hmm. hangs outside the firehouse the big one right. um i don't know how much i can tell you about why i got it but uh, <laughs> i have got it it's, yeah, it's you got to keep carriage. something yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah by the way this is the funny thing it's like even stuff like me watch graham norton and there's guys like ryan gosling talking about working on like blade runner and stuff and he was like, oh, you must have, it's an iconic franchise, you must have got the keeps on, and he's like, oh, I might have, <clears throat> or I might have no kept. You know, even there, like, the actors who get, yeah. or, like, the the biggest things, the biggest part of the production, and even they're like, oh, yeah, totally, <clears throat> got to keep something. <clears throat> like, um, I remember that was the funniest thing I ever saw when it was at Ewan McGregor, because he was always like, oh, you worked on Star Wars, did you get to keep anything? He was like, I might or might not have, have uh, been given a lightsaber. <clears throat> you know, and he was even sketchy about it, and I'm like, you were Obi-Wan fucking Kenobi. Of course you're going yeah, to yeah. keep son. You'd be yeah, expecting yeah, yeah. to get... You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's things like um, little props or, or even like graphics. Like mm. the graphics guys on on this, they, they knew I was a huge Ghostbusters fan. They basically, they turned around and they said, at the end of it, they gave me a big bump of like Ghostbusters, um, you, you know, like signs, right. stickers. The things they built for them. Just things that are like, oh, that's a nice thing to keep and like raise a cult... Um, uh, business cards or like right. Ghostbusters business cards or um, what you look back on years for now and think oh i remember when i worked on you know yeah exactly so it's all, all nice things and then, you know i've got i've got like um i've got the the lamp from aladdin right i've got um what else have i got yeah it's, it's, it's like it's, it's like as, as the smaller stuff it's not you're going to walk away with a proton pack or something like because they take no um, no some of the stuff takes like 30 grand to build yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I tell you, I just have we got time for a quick story? No, no, firing, firing, yeah. So the um, one of the things I had to do was um, test the um, the pole for the firehouse. So we made a mock up of the pole, yeah, in the workshop. So we, mm. we built a, just a scaff pole, yeah. Um, did did the hole uh, in the thing because we wanted to see if you could fit through the hole with a proton pack on. Right. Um, and because uh, it's only three foot wide, you see. Yeah. And then the pole's in the middle, so that's one foot six. So right. You got to think the depth of your body, then the depth of the thing. You're going to pack at the back. Yeah. It's going to hit the as you go through the hole. Yeah. So I had to like make up these several mock-ups to see the best fit for everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, my boss said to me, um, "Can you go down?" Uh, and get the proton packs. They've got them down in the thing. She said, "You might as well. If you put it on, mm-hmm. uh, then you can get, you go down the pole and you, you test it. Have a go. Like, it's yeah. fine, whatever." So went down, and it was the real proton pack. And then the mm-hmm. the, 
the um, the uh, costume designer comes out of nowhere and she says, um, "Oh, Eve, the designer, my boss." She said, mm-hmm. "Oh, Eve said you wanted to wear this," mm-hmm. and it was the uh, um, Venkman's screen worn flight suit. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a picture of me in in the screen worn Bill Murray mm-hmm. Venkman flight suit mm-hmm. with his proton pack on, yeah. and I've never looked that happy. Yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> picture of me just like absolutely beaming. Yeah, beaming. So yeah, yeah it, it's one of those things. Like yeah. the the job, people always say to me, "Oh, it must be amazing your job," and I think like a lot of the time, I would say like, "Oh, it's all right," you know. But then things like that happen, you go actually yeah it's pretty fucking cool what i do it's i mean pretty... we've definitely kind of ratted about like the, the unfairness of parts of the job but i think later down the line in your life when you go back and look at the kind of moments it's something that like people will live their whole life working in an office they'll never get to experience anything like that and the yeah. fact that at one point you can sit at dinner parties and to your friends and stuff like that oh, i remember when i met dan Aykroyd, you know in the ghostbusters set and people will be like what the fuck like how the fuck did that you know it, you know it's i think it's the sacrifice we make as artists is that you have to give a bit of your soul you have to give a bit of your being to be in this industry and sacrifice so much but moments like that are the things you look back on at the end of the day when you remember about how you lived your life and you know i think the biggest thing for me was when i left my job people told me two things one that i would never graduate university because nobody would take me in my older age and, and i didn't have any qualifications that was obviously fucked the minute i walked in the the, the hall to get my my degree in my hand but and then the other two was I'd, the other thing they told me was like i never have my name and in, in, in a credits for a video game and i've been in several so it's like you know people always have this thing about like you know living an ordinary life and i think it's one of these things that you and i have of like you didn't want to be like everybody else you want to have these moments in your life where you've done something different with your time and you feel like you accomplished a bit in life by working on these major productions and again it's the things that you know the pay is unfair and the hours and whatever else and things need to be sorted of course but um it, it does make you happy that you get to have these experiences in life of working on these amazing things so yeah that's, man, that's the trade-off yeah absolutely 100 percent. and uh i don't think you know there's there's been times where i've been like you know Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, yeah. oh, it's a young man's game. Yeah, you know, getting up <laughs> early and traveling across London in the freezing weather and things, and they just think, yeah. oh. And then there's times like that where you just go, actually, you know, you got a call to say, can you come and work in Ghostbusters? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> like where'd I sign up? Um, I got that was the, that was the best day ever. That because I got <laughs> <laughs> I heard that they were making Ghostbusters. So this is the this is the funny story, right? Yeah. As you probably can tell, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. Yes. Complete nerd out on Ghostbusters. And uh, I've got a supervising art director friend of mine uh, called Andrew Palmer, mm-hmm. who is also a huge Ghostbusters fan and Bill Murray fan. And we, mm-hmm. you know, when we work together, we just quote Bill Murray stuff all the time to each other and blah, blah, blah. blah. Anyway, we went to see um, uh, uh, oh, Afterlife. <laughs> Right. We went to the Afterlife at, uh, at the BFI or somewhere, I can't remember, yeah. when it first came out. And um, we loved it. And then on the way out, we were talking. We were like, God, wouldn't it be amazing if they did the Ghostbusters film in the UK? Could happen. Oh, yeah, it could happen. Anyway, cut to six months later. Mm-hmm. He phones me up. He's like, they're doing Ghostbusters in England. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to find out who's doing it. So yeah. I spent two weeks trying to find out. It was like, the biggest 
secret. Nobody knew who was doing it. Like, who's, right. doing it? who's doing Ghostbusters? Who's doing Ghostbusters? So at the time, I was doing this Netflix film uh, called uh, Back in Action. It's not out yet. Okay. It was a Cameron Diaz thing. Right, right. And um, I'm on there, and one of the guys who I work with, a guy called Ben Telford, who oh. actually I got him on board. He, he, was, he spent years doing uh, TV stuff, mm-hmm. and I got him on. He wanted to do features, so I, I basically put his name forward, and he, he ended up on this job, and we got mm-hmm. Pally on that. We met through Instagram. Anyway, that's right. another story. And um, I'm with him one lunchtime, and I said, and he's, you know, what, you know just, we're just chatting shit, and, he, and mm-hmm. I said, oh, I'm trying to find this, uh, trying to find out who's supervising Ghostbusters because... Uh, mm-hmm. It's like nobody knows, nobody knows. And he's like, Oh, I know who's doing it. It's uh that yeah, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I won't say his name just mm-hmm. in case of the con- um thingy. Yeah, yeah. He's doing it. Uh, I was like, What? Oh, have you got his number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I phoned the guy up. I was like, Oh, my name's Luke, I'm an art director. And, um I heard you're doing Ghostbusters. And he's like, Nah, sorry, mate, fully crude now. And I was like, No, fuck. Yeah. So I said, Can I send a CV anyway? And he said, Yeah, yeah, send a CV. So I sent him a CV. And lucky for me, you know, CV's got some pretty big things on it. Right. Phoned me back uh, literally within two minutes and was like, can you meet me tomorrow? (laughs) I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I snuck out of work to meet him at a local pub. Right. And he just laid it all on the table and he said, uh, and he was like, you know, going to be doing Ghostbusters. It's back in the firehouse, building the firehouse, blah, 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 blah. And he said, and he said, I want you to do the firehouse. And I just was like, yes. <laughs> this is like the best day ever. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It was yeah. a, that was the, the, and I had to really hold in my sort of like, oh I my want God, to I can't scream. believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah got, oh yeah. I'll see if I've got time, you know, I'll check the schedule, <laughs> check the calendar. <laughs> and then I had to like wangle out of my contract with the, with the back in action to get right. to Ghostbusters as well. Yeah. I've never done that before, but. I mean, I, dream, I, can't, dream I, can't, I can't turn this down. I've got to no, of course. actually said to my boss, like, they want me to do the firehouse. And he's like, wait, well, you should go. You've got yeah. to go. You know, okay. you're never going to get a chance to do that ever again. And that's the thing is like, it's like, it's like working on the original Ghostbusters. People will talk about that. Have they worked on that 20 years later? Like, oh, working yeah. Ghostbusters, you know, so at least yeah. you can say, um, which is interesting. You talk about like how things were made and you were given someone's phone number. It's like the games industry, so much of it is done online through email, through Facebook and Instagram, through like art station, like, you know, recruiters, you know, reaching out to you in LinkedIn. There's mm-hmm. very few of, which I thrive on. And that's why I've, I've, the podcast has done so well and I've been able to travel across the world is because mm-hmm. I'm great at just standing in a room and talking to people like you and I are doing just now. Yeah. Um, but so much of the art industry and the games, especially sector is, you know, you'll put stuff online and then people just contact you through email and through, it's, it's less like, you know, and again, because I think the film industry in London and the UK is such a tight knit industry. I think because the game stuff is almost international, it's harder mm. to then have those in-person one-to-one conversations, um, which do occasionally happen. I know people who went to events and met art directors and they've showed them their sketchbook and been like, oh, you should come down to the studio like tomorrow and we'll talk about something, maybe get you a job. Mm. Um, but it's rarer. It's There's less of that. And it's, you know, the, the stuff you're doing, obviously, with film. Um, but I think it's a lost art that I think should come back because you get a better sense of someone. When you do it like that oh definitely i mean I, that's how i always always have done it is mm-hmm. through phoning f- just phoning around yep. seeing who's doing what 
yep. you know, getting on people's radar. Because if yep. you send a faceless email, it's all you have to really like hit the um, like someone has to be actively looking for a draftsman or whatever right. when you email them for yeah. them to go, oh, yeah. I'm looking for a draftsman. I'll phone them straight back. If they're not actively looking at that exact moment, that email will just disappear within 24 hours and they'll yeah. forget all about it. Never again. So you've got to constantly phone people and say, yeah. you know, I'll just, you know, spoke to you last week. Just wondered if you're any further along. Blah, 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 yeah. Blah, you know, yeah. All of that. So, yeah, I always tell people to do that. That's a really good one. Um, so the, the, the conversation has been great. Um, but for the last 10 minutes, let's talk about another part of what you're doing just now because you're obviously doing your feature stuff still and you're working on whatever else but um you know a big thing that people have talked about recently is you know your instagram and that's kind of taken off and your posts are kind of getting attention and you're selling classes um so you're selling classes specifically for what you do which is production yeah. and set production for feature films exactly well it started off as um so i use sketchup and layout so i use sketchup for modeling and then i use layout which is the program that comes with sketchup for yeah. all the drafting and all the all the construction drawings um and i have a method and then in in during lockdown 2020 the uh not loads but like a few people got in touch and said oh would, would i be up for doing some one-on-one -on -one lessons with them yep um like zoom lessons and i was like i'm not really mm -hmm. i haven't got the patience to do that but i thought yeah. well I'll, I'll do a i'll do a little tutorial and i'll put it i'll start a youtube channel right and um start doing this tutorial and then I, I realize oh it's it's a bit more it's a bit more involved than a a youtube video because like by yeah. this point it was like two or three hours long anyway right. the first the first course ended up being 10 hours and i basically take you from the right at the beginning of opening sketchup for the first time to mm -hmm. getting a brief mm -hmm. then working out how to interpret the brief mm -hmm. building a model which is a new york loft apartment mm -hmm. sort of a stylized new york loft mm -hmm. um and then doing all the drawings from it so we do a plan elevation in the first master class the second one we do all the window detailing mm -hmm. the third one we do all the doors and then i've got the fourth one coming out uh in february which is right. all, like, all to do with staircases mm -hmm. and if you if you're looking to build a portfolio or le just learn sketchup like originally it was it was catered towards um set designers right. but i've actually got more people um involved that whole thing and then if you're going to have like a kind of end end or point to the end of it yeah so you could you so you work through it and you, you by the end of it if you if you did all four courses you'd have like 10 12 drawings for your portfolio right which you could then apply to whatever but it's turned out lots of people that have done it are architects interior designers mm -hmm. people that just want to learn sketch up yep. people who want to want to move from 2d to 3d so i've yep. got like a whole gamut of of students, not just yeah. film people. So that's been really nice, actually. It's been really good. And, and um, yeah, my, my, I've just set up a new website, whitelockdesignlimited.com. Mm -hmm. So you can go over there and check out, check out the, 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 um, the courses. Yep. I do asset packs. So I do like, um, one of the things we do in the film industry is like lots and lots of sash windows and Georgian doors. So mm -hmm. rather than having to remodel them or redraw them every job you go to, I've done a, I've done asset packs where you can pick them out, you know, and I've, it's got like 80 different windows, 80 different doors, mm -hmm. sci-fi kit bash where you can just mm -hmm. kit bash together some sci-fi stuff and some rendering. Um, so the whole thing really is, 
born out of um, uh, lockdown and it's yeah. turned into like a little side business. So I'm quite, you know, quite pleased about how that's yeah. kind of gone because it, it's helped me weather the storm of these strikes. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but, but then yeah, again, it's, what, it's something that I think with time and money and energy, like, you know, as the, as, as things like this happen, as interviews happen, as the years go on, I think it would become things like it's more popular and then it might become more and more, you know, I've seen people in our industry do the same where they'll start and it will be a slow burn initially, but then years down the line, they're the tutorials everybody goes to. So if anybody's wanting to learn stuff, it's like, oh, you need to go look at look stuff, you know, it will be a thing where it will build and build and build and build until eventually you're doing more stuff and more and more and more teaching. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a good starting point to b start building stuff like that at least. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love I love showing people how, you know, how good SketchUp is because it, it gets a bad rap a lot of the yep. time. People don't know how to use it and they mm -hmm. kind of, uh, they presume that they know how to use it because it looks like a simple program. Yeah. And it's actually incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, not to sound too big headed, but just go and have a look at my Instagram and the stuff that I do with it, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, Even the guys I know who do, uh, you know, work at ILM and stuff like that, who do like, you know, concept stuff for film and stuff. And a lot of the guys just sketch up and stuff. It's, it's river yeah, all the time. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's, a, it's a great, it's a great tool. Uh, it's fantastic for architecture and uh, architectural things. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, I mean, it does have one flaw in that it can't really do organic shapes. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't ever really find myself needing to do organic stuff. Everything I do is building related, you know, yep. doors, windows, furniture, set walls. decoration stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's um, it's great for that. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't really say much more about it. Really, it's kind of yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you guys want to check any of that stuff out, obviously the links will all be down below. I'll make sure I'll, I'll link all Luke's stuff in his website and all his courses. So if you want to check that stuff out, it'll all be there. Um, but then we've got to try and wrap it up because Luke has a life to get back to and I'm sure work to get back to as well. So um, I'm not going to keep him here forever. But um, but yeah, just again, uh, thanks for coming on, Luke, and, and chat. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, like I said, you know, links will be down below. You can check out Luke's stuff and I'll link onto all his socials so you can uh, chat with him if you need. He's really great, actually. And the fact that we are talking now is because I, I just reached out one day and started chatting. So he's always uh, approachable in that way. Yeah, and you check it as well. always. I always try and answer my DMs uh, yeah. whenever anyone gets in touch. So yeah. happy to chat to anyone if they want advice or yeah. whatever. Fantastic. Okay. Okay, guys, well, that's it for the interview. Um, and again, like I said, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks you guys for listening to this point. And uh, yeah, check out the rest of the episodes that are on the Jalarcast uh, podcast. You can find us on uh, YouTube, of course, that we do most of these on. But we're also on stuff like Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, and uh, the usual places to find your podcast. And uh, yeah, uh, again, we'll just see you guys in the next episode. And thanks for being here. Bye, guys.